Summer edition of Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Simon Tishko. We've had a few weeks without building any new episodes and broadcasting repeats. That's been rather pleasant and nice to consider. The backlog of episodes I intended to create have not been created, but the ideas have been piling up, so lots of things to do. Um, Today, I'm going to bring you a couple of nice little things. One of them is in celebration of Curiosity, Mars, Rover, and all things space, of which uh, Arts Catalyst and Naum Mantra. Uh, Dear Mr Mantra will be particularly pleased to hear. Um... We've all been celebrating the fact we've actually got things to Mars, that they're driving about, that they're looking at things and how an amazing achievement it is. But of course, people tend to forget that we here in Britain actually got there first way back in the 1950s. And um, in typical style, we underplayed it. And well, not that many people took it seriously, but um, as turned up on Adam Curtis's fabulous website at the BBC, There's an old film from 1959, which is the year I was born, but please don't add up my age, of um, the rather remarkable Mr George King, who was a one-time taxi driver, who had a remarkable revelation while doing the washing up one night in his London apartment when he was visited by interstellar intelligences who decided that he was going to be mental channel number one or in fact it was mental channel number one was the man from mars um in this really rather charming uh documentary on the bbc they took him so fabulously seriously and even get him gave him the chance to provide some rather interesting proof of his contact with interstellar gentlemen and ladies, presumably. And the main proof that he provided was with a massive old ferrograph tape machine, which he happened to have sitting there in the studio. And on it, he had a recording of his mother, Mrs. King, who, to check her sons, the truth of her sons' um, claims of meeting and being a representative of international terrestrial people, um, was transported to Mars in a flying saucer. So there you have it, proof. His mum says it's true. And uh, we get a clip of his mum telling how it's true. Now, to give it more of a personal spin, quite near where I live in southwest London, in Fulham, there is a little health food shop which many, many years ago used to have a neon flying circus. <laughs> 
flying circus, silly me, a neon flying saucer outside, which I never actually saw working, but it obviously did at some point. And there they sold and continue to sell a variety of remedies, homeopathic pills, vitamins, and goat's milk yogurt. And um, that's the main thing I buy from them. But they're a very, very charming bunch. And at the drop of a hat, they will get a little weight out and will douse you for cosmic guiders to what product for you to buy. Now, the Flying Saucers shop, as I know it, and the Flying Saucers Society, as I know it, is actually called the Aetherius Society. And the Aetherius Society is what George King founded in the 1950s, mid-1950s, when he was visited by men from Mars. And still to this day, they are... Why should I say claim? I'm sure they are. In direct communication with people from Venus and various other spots. And the fact the Americans have just managed to land a dune buggy on Mars isn't really that remarkable in the light of this British achievement. So I'm going to be playing you about 25 minutes of this remarkable interview with George King. And um, then... I'm going to seek sideways into the usual selection of music clips and noises and a selection of birdsong, which has been slowed down by a factor of 700% due to an interesting thing on New Scientist recently talking about musical influence from birdsong when slowed down can be very rhythmic and there are even some bird sounds which when slowed down to the correct tempo and pace will give you Beethoven's fifth and various other delights like that. Anyway, I rabbit on. It's been a while since I've spoken here on Isotopica on Resonance 104.4 FM. I digress, I talk too much, and I shall shut up now and let you get on with listening to the various things coming up in today's show. been listening to a recording of the voice of Mr. King, who is a chairman of the Aetherius Society. The recording was made while Mr. King was in a trance state and was transmitting, he believes, the intelligence of a person called Mars Sector 6. Mr. King is going to discuss his views, his experiences, and give us some of what he regards as the evidence in support of them this evening. We have also with us in the studio two scientific colleagues of mine, both to listen to and then discuss this evidence together. The first is Dr. Dewhurst, who is an astronomer from the Cambridge Observatories, and the second is a psychiatric colleague who, under the present regulations, constantly criticised of our profession will, like myself, be anonymous. He is a psychiatrist with a special training in Jungian psychology. Now, Mr. King is in the studio with us to discuss at first hand both his work in trance, his knowledge and belief about the matters dealing with space and the people who inhabit it. Mr. King, how long has the Aetherius Society been in existence? Uh, three years now. You're its founder chairman? That's correct, yes. Before you founded the Aetherius <coughs> Society, 
what was your occupation? I was a taxi driver. I see. How old are you now? <coughs> uh, Forty. So you found it when you were 37? Uh, yes, that's right. Um, you see, I had uh, quite an amazing experience uh, one Saturday morning while I was washing up some dishes. I had a voice, uh, quite defin definitely a voice out of this world, say to me, prepare yourself, you are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. Soon after this I had a physical visitation from a member of uh, the cosmic hierarchy, if you like, who gave me certain instructions. Um, I obeyed these instructions to the letter and later on um, I found I could contact intelligences from other planets. Uh, this visitation that you described, what happened? Well, it was quite physical. Uh, I was sat in a room um, and a man walked through a locked door uh, across the, the um, carpet on the floor and he was quite physical. When he crossed the boards they creaked and he sat down opposite to me and began to talk to me. I see. He had a, a, a body and a face just like anybody else? Just. He was as physical as you are now. Where did he in fact come from? Um, <coughs> he, he is a man who is living uh, in northern India at the moment but he came from another planet. I believe it was Venus. Now when he came into your room through the locked door with this ordinary physical body, did he resemble any other human inhabitant of this planet? Or Yes, he, he would have been taken for, um, for uh, uh, an Indian, I think. I see. And this was the body which he has when he's on Venus as well? No, this, is a, this was a special body he used when he was on this Earth. What happens to it when he's not here? Um, I think uh, he is capable of breaking up the atomic structure and cellular structure and reforming another body when he goes back to Venus again. Now, um, he gave you some instructions which you followed. Could you describe them? Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't. I see. But as a result of those, you became uh, a channel for the transmission of messages from cosmic intelligence. Yes, that's right. Yes. You have a title which you've been given in this respect. Yes, uh, the space people refer to me as mental channel number one. And they send their messages directly through you as a rule? Uh, they do, yes. I think I've received more messages for, from the space people than any other person on Earth at the moment. Yes. It's quite fitting under those circumstances that you should have founded the Society. You did this for what purpose? Uh, <coughs> well, I wanted to make known this great truth that uh, I was receiving. I wanted all the world to know about it. So I founded the Aetherius Society so that this could be brought about. Now, in addition to the messages which you receive in a trance state, do you receive visitors from outer space in person? I have met uh, people from outer space. You've met people from Saturn? I met people from Saturn, Mars and Venus, yes. Tell me what someone from Saturn looks like. <coughs> well, the particular person I met was a man. Uh, he was average height, uh, dark hair, uh, fairly broadish, um, he had no pupils to the eyes, um, very, very large hands, but very, very small feet. Now this body that you describe, and this person, um, does he have a physical existence uh, only when he's on Earth, or are the physical existences on Saturn, for example? No, <coughs> he um, lives in a physical body on Saturn, but it's uh, a little bit different than the one I've described to you. I see. When he's on the Earth, he breathes the air like we do? Yes, and, and he eats the same as you do. And, I mean, could he swim in the sea and things like that? Yes, except he wouldn't eat meat. He wouldn't eat meat? No. But when he's on Saturn, he has a physical body, not quite the same? Yes. Quite so. Quite. The same thing applies to people from Venus? Uh, to people from Venus and Mars <coughs> and all the other planets. Now when they come to, to visit you, when they come to visit the Earth, how do they get here? They uh, come to Earth in the vehicles that we refer to as flying saucers. You've seen one of these, haven't you? Oh, I've seen a couple of hundred, I suppose. Close up? <coughs> quite close, yes, some of them. What do they look like? <coughs> well, <coughs> they look rather like um, two saucers put together uh, with uh, a dome on the top and they have portholes and when you see them at night they glow a golden color. What are they made of? 
<coughs> a metal which is maybe described, I think, as organic metal. What does organic metal mean? I'm sorry. I <coughs> well, it has um, a living uh, cellular structure, um, rather uh, as a human has a living cellular structure that constitutes his body. Is it a metal comparable to those we know on Earth? No, no, no. Is it a metal which can be detected in any way in the uh, spectrum of any of the planets from which it comes? Mm. Um, <coughs> it may be, yes, possibly um, uh, there may be very, very great heat um, needed in the beginning to fuse more than one metal together to, to make this metal which they eventually settle on for the sources. Have you ever travelled in one of these um, vehicles? Not in a physical body, but um, I, I'd like to um, point out that my mother has travelled in one of these vehicles in a physical body and um, she was, um, she went along to, to a meeting that was arranged and um, she had to walk through mud in a field and um, she got her shoes covered with mud, she walked up some steps and into a flying saucer. Now she's made a recording of her experience which you played to me and from which we've selected an excerpt. Uh, I'd like just to tell the viewers for a moment if I may uh, the point at which we've taken this excerpt because they'll know then what they're listening to. This is a long recording and we've only time for a very <coughs> short portion of it. In it one can hear Mrs. King, that's Mr. King's mother, describing uh, the whole of her trip in a flying saucer. She describes how she enters it, how she meets the crew, how it takes off, how she flies inside this vehicle and finds herself somewhere in space. She doesn't know where. The point at which we're going to play the recording is the point at which she is describing looking at some of the instruments inside the saucer and what she sees when it is in flight and when she's inside it. Could we have the recording? Certainly. lighted up. I thought, oh well, now I've got something to look at. And it was the strangest, most fantastic thing you've ever seen. Behind this screen seemed to be a, a round world moving slowly. It was going from west to east, but from east to west was a light working along this thing, this screen. I could see it was round because I could see the contour of it. Oh, I said, that's wonderful. I said, it's, it's lovely. I said, what is that? That is your earth. Oh, I said, isn't it wonderful? I said, and what is that light? He said, that is our beam. We are flying over your earth. Thank you very much. Now, you've heard your mother's first-hand account of this, apart from this recording. Oh, I have indeed, yeah. Tell me quite frankly, Mr. King, allowing for the fact that she's your mother and she knows your interest in these matters, do you think she's been led away to any extent by her enthusiasm or do you think this actually has happened to her? This actually did happen to my mother. You're, you're quite sure about it? Yes, I'll stake my life on it. Now, for one moment, there's another aspect of this that I'd like to ask you about. Apart from the scientific data which have interested you and which you have uh, described briefly to us, the nature of the people, the way they live, uh, the fact that they can travel in spaceships. Um, incidentally, how long does it take them to get, for instance, from Saturn <coughs> to the Earth? Um, I'm not sure, but from Venus to the Earth, if they're really pushed for time, yes. they can do the journey in uh, 2.5 seconds. 2.5 seconds from Venus to the Earth? Yeah. You don't know how long it takes them from Saturn? I'm not sure, no. No. Well, now, in addition to the, the interest in this extraordinary information, they have messages that they feel must be transmitted through you. 
what are these messages about? <clears throat> well, they uh, stress the dangers of atomic experimentation and also uh, they remind us that we must turn back to what they uh, call the laws which are God if we are to um, survive on this earth. What kind of laws are they actually postulating? Mm, well, the, the laws as laid down by Jesus and Buddha, Krishna and other great teachers who came to the earth uh, to, to lead us throughout the ages. So that their message has a strong uh, religious content of a kind similar to that contained in the various religious teachings of the world? Oh yes, yes, definitely. Now, do they make any original statements other than those which are already to be found <coughs> in the established religions of the world? Oh yes, they, <coughs> they do say, um, uh, tell us about um, uh, the certain dangers. For instance, they, they uh, spoke about some time ago the large crack in the, just beneath the surface of the earth which stretches for several uh, hundred miles from middle of Siberia right the way down through the center of Australia and they say that if we opened up this fault line uh, in the earth's surface um, we are liable to have uh, a tilt on the axis of the earth as a result of this. How might we open up this fault line? Um, through atomic experimentation uh, uh, and so on. And presumably, if the fault line goes from Siberia to the middle of Australia, most of the Pacific Ocean would disappear into the fault. Yes, and then you'd get the tremendous reaction between hundreds of millions of gallons of water and the, the um, shall we say, gases under pressure which, have, which are held in the centre <coughs> of the Earth. Now, when you get visitations, physical visitations, you see the people and they talk to you in an ordinary voice in an ordinary way. Oh yes, the, the voice isn't quite ordinary though. It has a certain peculiar quality which I can best describe as a quality of running water. Now, when the messages come to you as your, in your capacity that you've described as <coughs> mental channel number one, you go into trance and the voice speaks through you. Is that right? Yes, the intelligence uh, uh, speaks through me. In other words, I gain a telepathic rapport with the uh, intelligence from another planet and he conveys his message to me. Using your vocal cords? Yes, oh yes. Could you do that this evening? Um, I think I could, yes. Before I ask you to do it, there is one other question which I'd like to ask you, which I hope you will accept as completely sincere, but to be answered with equal sincerity. Many people are clearly going to draw the conclusion that you are sincerely but absolutely deluded in all you say, that this mm. isn't true, that you believe it and it is a sheer delusion. What is your own answer to that? How do you know that this is not in fact a projection of your own imagination? Because I've met these people, my mother has met physically uh, one of the people who has been uh, uh, speaking through me for a number of years and he told my mother uh, this fact that um, he, he has been speaking um, uh, virtually uh, through me. Now who is going to speak through you this evening if you can get in touch? Uh, 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 intelligence from the planet Venus uh, who we call Aetherius. Right. Will you now try to uh, go into a trance for us? I will try. Yes. <coughs> Mr. King has explained to me that in fact it may take him 30 seconds even perhaps as much as a minute to get into a trance and during this time he has suggested that we should be entirely silent and so we will be. We will wait for the voice if it comes through Mr. King. Good evening. 
Good evening. My dear friend. Your name is? I am known as Isiris. Where do you come from? The planet Venus. Where are you speaking from now? I'm sorry, my dear friend. I cannot answer that question for you. I had wondered simply whether you were in a vehicle of some kind, of a spaceship described by Mr. King when he was talking to me, or whether you were in your normal abode. But you can't tell me that? Uh, no. You do travel normally in what Mr. King has described as flying saucers when you move about space, do you? Yes, <coughs> that is quite correct. We have indeed been visiting this earth of yours uh, for uh, some 18 million of your earth years. And when you come here, what is your purpose in coming? At the moment, Earth, as you call it, faces a certain situation. The situation can be described as rather a dangerous one. You are liable uh, to upset uh, the balance of your Earth through number one, atomic experimentation, and number two, your deviation uh, from uh, the spiritual laws. And your visits are designed to warn us against this? Yes. Can anybody see flying saucers when they arrive? Oh, yes. The vehicles that you call flying saucers are quite physical. If you're uh, fired a 16-inch shell at the hull of a a flying saucer that would burst when it came into contact with the force screen or protective barrier around the vessel. Is there <coughs> one single message that you would like to give us this evening? I'm afraid it must be brief, you'll understand that. Yes. I would like to say this. If you are a Christian, then Live the laws as laid down by Jesus. If you are a Buddhist, live the laws as laid down by Buddha. <coughs> if you are a Hindu, then be the best Hindu. This procedure is the one true way for men of earth to save themselves from their lower aspects. Thank you, Etherius, very much indeed. Good night. Good night. Dr. Dewhurst, you've heard both what Mr. King has to say, the information that he has produced, the recording that his mother made, <coughs> the voice that he believes is that of Etherius taking over his vocal cords. From the point of view of our discussion, there are clearly two aspects to this. There is the theosophical or religious aspect, uh, the moral teachings, which may be largely uh, borrowed from religions as we know them, and there is the scientific material or the scientific claims, the rate of travel of the spaceship, the construction of the spaceship and so on. I imagine that it is with the latter that you'd care to deal. Um, uh, yes, I think I should make this clear um, right from the start. As you said, there are two aspects to uh, what uh, Mr. King has told us, what um, the voice of uh, Ethereus has told us. Uh, one uh, brings us messages, which are the messages which have been brought from time to time by the world's religious leaders uh, to us. And clearly about these, uh, I've no more authority to speak than 
any authors of us here or indeed uh, a anyone else. Now, he did mention that people lived on Saturn with physical bodies. Now, this is the other point that I think we have to make clear before we can proceed usefully uh, in this discussion. Uh, it's this. If uh, we are to think uh, of um, beings at all like ourselves uh, on the surface of Saturn, then quite frankly this is impossible. So it's impossible for you to conceive of life? Quite impossible. Now, the, the only other point I'd like you to answer is this question of both the construction and the speed of flying saucers. We are told that they're made of an organic metal. We are told that they can travel from Venus to the Earth in 2.5 seconds. Well, he here again, uh, it seems to me that Mr. King and I are, are not speaking the same language. Uh, if the flying saucers, whatever these vehicles um, um, are, um, are made of material substance, then I can only speak of them if they're ma made of substances that are known to us as scientists. Uh, this phrase that Mr. King uh, uses of, of organic metals is, is completely meaningless. But if it is a material substance, then it, it is quite impossible w uh, within the limits of our knowledge that he could possibly come from Venus to the Earth uh, in, I think it was two and a half seconds, uh, Miss Mr. King said. This is a velocity much greater than the velocity of light. And uh, we've had very considerable success in explaining the behavior of the material universe on the assumption that this can't happen. But no, the, the velocity of light is the limiting speed of the universe? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I wish we could go into this further, but I know we're running over time, and I think it's worth I running see. over a bit just to get these things clear. Now, Tony, you know as well as I do that we don't have to take this material that Mr. King has said purely at its face value. Supposing that the refutation on the scientific aspect that has been given by our colleague is absolute and that uh, Mr. King is sincerely misguided or deluded about the nature of the scientific aspects of his claims, there is something about the symbolic aspects of them which perhaps you could comment on. Yes, I think certainly because you've got to assume if flying saucers have no real physical existence and the people that he's talking about also have no real physical existence, you've got to assume that they are fantasies, that is, that they are things which originate within the mind itself, that he is imagining or conjuring up these creatures, uh, and that they are attributed to the sky, to outer space, uh, and this is indeed a familiar psychological mechanism which we know as projection. Uh, it is the basis of the tests such as the Rorschach test where people look at ink blots. Now, there isn't anything in an ink blot uh, and therefore it's of interest psychologically because anything you see in an ink blot must come out of you, out of your own mind. As indeed it does. Yeah. As indeed it does. And in the same way, of course, the sky is a very suitable place in which to see things. Um, you'll remember um, Hamlet and, and Polonius and how Hamlet points out a cloud to Polonius and says it's backed like a weasel or it's shaped like a yes. whale and so on. So that the sky is a particularly suitable place to uh, receive projections from within the mind itself. You, you can see anything in the sky if you look hard enough, as it were. Uh, and that's the first point that I want to make. Uh, the second is, of course, that there is evidence of a widespread tendency in human beings to see things in the sky. Uh, Jung, in his recent book, Professor Jung of Zurich, uh, in his recent book on flying saucers, gives examples and indeed pictures of things seen in the sky, not unlike flying saucers, in the 16th century in Baal and Nuremberg and other places. People have been seeing things like this and claiming to see them throughout history. I'd like you, we've got time for one more observation. I'd like you to give your view and Jung's about why people are seeing flying saucers now. Well, he regards us as being in a state of, uh, the world as being in a state of being divided into two armed camps, as it were. It's natural that we should all be suffering anxiety. We all live under the threat of destruction. What is more natural than that people should look up to the sky, as they always have done, looking for hope of some kind, looking for a symbolic solution? And they see a saucer, they see a circular shape, they see something which has always been 
of the nature of a peaceful, reconciling, hopeful completion. The circle is the only perfect figure. It, it, it stands this for this. This goes indeed with the advice that uh, Mr. King believes he gets given. Exactly. It, it's, a, it's a phenomenon which is repeated throughout history, and many examples can be given of it. We would have liked to have discussed this longer. We are limited strictly now by time. I think that perhaps there is one important point about this that we need to take away with us. Mr. King's claims scientifically cannot be accepted by an astronomer who has told us that astronomers cannot fit his claims in with the facts of the universe as they know them, nor have they ever seen, despite their telescopes and their interest are flying saucer in the sky. They've been seen by people who are not astronomers, like Mr. King. You've heard also that the kind of advice, the kind of claims and the kind of messages that are transmitted fall in with the kind of hopes and fears that divide mankind. It would be easy, foolish I think, to deride Mr. King, who if nothing else is absolutely sincere. Because what Mr. King is really doing, perhaps, through what may well be total delusion, is nevertheless uttering, in one way, in a symbolic form, the cry of anxiety that divides our world, that our scientific interest has outrun our wisdom and our humanity in some respects, and we're afraid that it may outrun our existence. We therefore may not agree with what Mr. King claims or says. We may think that he is sincere, but deluded but we shall delude ourselves if we think that there is no significance in these fears and their expression in this form. Good night.
listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM on your London dial, www.resonancefm.com international. Um, ooh, what have I got to say about today's show? I have got to say that details of the show, previous episodes, and all sorts of other activities that you may find me and friends of mine getting up to can be found on www.theculture.net where, as a special treat and through overwhelming public demand, there are links and buttons and you can now find Isotopica in iTunes. Um, I've only just managed to make this work so I'm not sure exactly how you do that but perhaps if you were to look in iTunes for Isotopica or Simon Tishko, you may well find the show and be able to subscribe to the archives and uh, any future episodes as they are created. So, once again, thank you for listening to Isotopica. Tune in the same time, same place, same channel next week where there will be a further diverse selection of things to go between your ears. This is Simon Tishko signing out.